Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, October 8th, 2017. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor Aaron Stenberg. So when I moved to Lancaster uh, back in July... I must confess that one of the things I was so excited about was the fact that for the first time in my adult life, I was going to have a garage, a guaranteed place to park my car, but even more importantly than that, a place for additional storage. I could now do things like buy everyday supplies in bulk and save money. So I don't know about you, and I I don't know why this happens, but every time that I go to the store uh, to buy uh, paper supplies, like paper towels or toilet paper, I am dumbfounded by the magnitude of the decision that's before me. (laughs) I don't know how to pick a particular brand. And now I figured, all right, I can buy in bulk. So this dilemma, this existential crisis is going to happen only maybe now a couple times a year. And so I went to the store and I stared at the shelves. Would I be convinced by the adorable creatures on the front of the package or by the appealing idea that the paper towel is actually quilted Not this time, I decided. I decided not only was I going to buy in bulk, but I was going to buy the special store brand that was on sale. Have you ever used toilet paper or a paper towel that practically dissolves when you pick it up? (laughs) I have. And now I have a ton of it sitting in my garage. But I am an optimistic person. I like to see the silver lining in every situation. And I don't even know what silver lining means, but I'm positive it is the best way to describe my perspective. And so I realized, I thought to myself, this store brand must have had something in mind when they designed their product. They had to. I mean, it feels a little bit like tissue paper, so maybe their goal was to be environmentally friendly. Because I tell you, unlike styrofoam, which as we know has the lifespan of a star, (laughs) this paper will disintegrate within maybe three and a half minutes of being in a landfill. And so I thought to myself, all right, I'm okay with this. Because inasmuch as we all need a Sabbath and we all need a rest, like we talked about last week, so do our communities and so does our world. The earth needs a break from the demands that we've placed upon her, from damming her rivers to dumping toxins in the atmosphere to filling her from one pole to the next with trash. The world needs a break. The world is in need of a rest and a vacation as well. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our rock and our redeemer. 
Amen. So welcome to our second and final sermon series on Sabbath. And we began last week by examining this idea of keeping Sabbath time. We looked at how God not only gives us permission to rest, but models it for us and shows us how important it is. Keeping Sabbath time gives us the energy. It gives us the creativity. It gives us the motivation for the work in front of us. And so we honor God by observing the Sabbath. And this morning, we are moving from looking at not only how important it is for us as individuals to observe a Sabbath, but also looking at how God tells communities to keep Sabbath time, how the world itself is in need of a rest. For God has created a natural pattern for the world and for us, a pattern of work and rest. And farmers know this pretty well. As we see in our passage from Leviticus this morning, God commands Israel to let their fields have a Sabbath. Chapter 25 begins with the Lord speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land, the promised land that I am giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land. A Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field, and you shall not prune your vineyard. Now this is a divine command. And we know that it is important when we hear that God was speaking to Moses. And from Mount Sinai, no less. Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses encountered God to receive the Ten Commandments for the people. And we see in this command the same cycle of rest as the individual Sabbath. Six days of work and one day of rest. Six years of working the land and one year of rest. And since ancient times, farmers have observed a practice of letting their fields go fallow. And going fallow simply means that they do not seed the field that year. They let the land rest. And during that year, the earth replenishes itself with nutrients and with moisture. The natural world provides examples of work and rest as well. I came across a fascinating article a while ago entitled, Your Ancestors Didn't Sleep Like You. Before the invention of the electric light, we had candles and and we had fire. But for the most part, our days were governed by the presence of the sun. When the sun went down, we went to bed. And when the sun rose, you better be up. And during those times, Professor Roger Eckert discovered that we actually slept twice per night. We didn't sleep in an eight-hour period of time, but when the sun went down over that around 12-hour stretch, we would sleep in two shorter periods of sleep throughout the night. We would start with a cycle of three to four hours, and then people would wake up for two to three hours, and then go back to bed and sleep again until morning. And during that time between this first and second sleep, uh, he wrote that people would read, people would pray, they would spend time with their spouse, they would even go out and visit neighbors. And religious manuals during that time had 
special prayers that could be said during those mid-sleep hours. And so in the 90s, Thomas Weir did a study, and he's from the National Institute of Mental Health. And he looked at people's sleep patterns with regard to their exposure to light. And so he restricted the, the light. He artificially restricted the light exposure of these people to mimic uh, midwinter. And he looked to see what would happen with these subjects. And first they started to sleep just a great deal. They were making up for this sleep debt, this sleep deficit that we all have. But after a little while, after they had caught up on their sleep, they started to have two sleeps again. And they didn't sleep for more than eight hours a night, but they would sleep, they would wake up, have activity, and go back to sleep. The natural world reflects God's call for Sabbath, this pattern of work and rest. And the world needs its rest. But not only that, the people of the world, the communities, need a Sabbath too. The pastor and author Dave Barnhart points out that the resources that we extract from the earth often go to factories around the world, staffed by children, by eight-year-olds sewing the soles onto sneakers, working for 12-hour days in steaming sweatshops. And he points out to us that people who are dirt poor cannot afford a Sabbath. According to the most recent estimates in 2013, we have made a great deal of progress in reducing poverty over the last decade. However, we still have a ways to go. More than 10% of the world's population lives on under $1.90 a day. That's 750 million people. In our passage this morning, we see that God declares a Sabbath not only for us as individuals to rest one day out of seven, not only for the land one year out of seven, but God also calls for a year of jubilee, a Sabbath for all of creation. Once every 50 years, the economic system would get a restart as well. Debts would be forgiven, indentured servants would be released, and the land would go back to the original families who owned it. Verse 10 reads, and you shall hallow the 50th year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. Imagine for a moment, what would that look like today if we experienced a year of jubilee? Total chaos, probably. Imagine your bills coming in the mail. You open it up and the amount you owe, zero. Student loans, zero. No more mortgages, no more credit card debt, no more car payments. Children and the poor leaving their 12-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week work and taking their first-ever summer vacation. Imagine Native people all around the world leaving reservations and reclaiming their original lands, lands like California, or more specific places like Wall Street or the Sydney Opera House. Probably makes us a little bit uncomfortable to even think about it. 
But we don't know if the Israelites ever followed this command of God. We don't have any instances of of seeing them actually following through uh, with this commandment. But it is an ideal. It is an idea that comes up again and again. We see in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus uh, began his ministry, he returned to Nazareth. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he picked up a scroll from Isaiah, and he began to read. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was quoting the prophet Isaiah, who used the term the year of the Lord's favor to refer to this jubilee year, a glimpse of the day when wrongs would be righted, when sufferings would end, and when injustices would be no more. We need a break. We need a break from the storms of life. We need a break from the violence that surrounds us. We need a break from the divisions that we place between us. We need a break. In the midst of the horrors that we have been witnessing, in the midst of the voices speaking hatred to one another, in the midst of our own tendencies of judgment toward those who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't live like us, we need a break. It may not be practical, but God never claimed to be practical. God claims to love us and want what's best for us. It's not enough to not murder. We must be cautious with our anger. Jesus tells us this. It's not enough for us to seek an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which was a practice of seeking just compensation, but Jesus tells us not to resist an evildoer. But how can we even comprehend that in light of what has happened this past week? Following Jesus is not easy, but when we turn to him, when we rely on him, we are given the rest, the peace that we need in this turbulent world. Jesus tells us, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to be the light of the world. Here at Palmdale, we remind ourselves that we are inspired by Jesus to love. We are inspired by Jesus, the Son of Man who gave his life for us, who met violence and ridicule, hatred and scorn, not with anger, not with vengeance, but with a mission of peace and love. One of my favorite songs in the whole world is Let There Be Peace on Earth. It's a lofty goal. But the song continues by saying, and let it begin with me. As the church, my prayer is for peace to begin with us. We can bring hope to this hurting world. 
by showing that it isn't about how much we work. It isn't about how much we can accomplish or how much money we can make. Our lives are more than what we can buy or how famous we can become, how busy we can get, or how perfect we try to show the world we are. We find balance. We find rest. We find purpose when we follow the Prince of Peace. We can lay our burdens down. We don't need them. We can face what tomorrow might bring because the Spirit of God is with us. The Spirit of God is empowering us to pray, to heal, to build up, to care for, and above all, to love.